This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 164 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Neil Jordan's 1994 film, Interview with the Vampire. All right. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Antonio Banderas. Christian Slater. Christian Slater. (laughs) Kirsten Kirsten Dunst. Dunst. What a cast. Um, Great. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen this movie before. We've talked about it in past episodes. It's weird because like I kind of knew the reputation right i knew that people enjoyed it um and i sort of had some context clues as to what some things meant and cultural osmosis um but it's not the same thing as seeing this film and i'm glad i've finally seen it that's awesome man i'm excited to hear what you're what you thought of it this this movie is really fascinating and and i felt like i was kind of seeing it for the first time watching it here even though i'd seen it before i don't know what my what my viewing experience was last time i'm also i'm i feel like i might have missed part of it or something you know might have been broken up seen it on tv or something this felt like the first time i truly watched it start to finish you know like gave it my full attention so um definitely a very different experience for me yeah in my research i found that the sequel queen of the damned was he was mm-hmm. i've seen that movie and didn't know the connection <laughs> uh and yeah. even through our coverage because that's how that's how little i remember that movie probably i just remember it being very in quotations edgy at the time mm-hmm. when it came out and everything um i, I, I remember I, very know, little about that movie too other than i think jonathan davis did like some songs for the soundtrack that i that i remember because i was i was into corn at the time they were like <laughs> leaning into that kind of stuff yeah yeah uh, and I, you know, I shouldn't speak too much because I don't remember it that much. So maybe it, maybe it's better than I remember because I think Lestat is in that. And it's funny that he's yeah. like a rocker, like he's like yeah. a rock vampire. So, yeah, I, I, I saw some stuff about how Lestat changed throughout some of the sequels because I was a little bit curious and uh, how Anne Rice apparently sort of retconned some of the stuff that happens in this book to make it make more sense with the character later, essentially saying that Louis... Uh, was misrepresenting or even lying about some of the things that went on or it's just his point of view but not Lestat's point of view um, and and it gave her some wiggle room I guess to shift some of the events that we see at the end of the book and the end of this film uh, both it's very interesting uh, how some things have changed from the book some a lot of things have stayed the same uh, but it does it does end up a very different adaptation than than its source material it's it's yeah uh, I think well first I'd like to hear like what what you thought of it how'd you enjoy this you said did you enjoyed it but like yeah. what'd you think of the movie what'd you think of the production in general yeah i mean i i don't want to influence you too much so i'm just going to give a light light taste on my my opinion because you're you're fresh like i i want to get your. i can go first if you want me to yeah yeah you go first actually i want i want to hear your thoughts okay i i love this movie and i okay. didn't expect to love it as much as i did um coming in i kind of had seen some of the scores that and like i'm not a huge like rotten tomatoes metacritic person Mm -hmm. that like beholds my my opinions to these like critical aggregators and everything uh but i saw that it didn't have great scores i was like oh it's gonna be pretty good though it's it's not bad no but it's it's like i think i think it's like uh metacritic is like in the 50s or so so that's not great it's not like Mm -hmm. um 
you know, or and on, on Rotten Tomatoes, I, I don't even know what it is. I, I forget. I thought I saw but. something in the 70s, but I don't remember what site it was. Gotcha. So uh, going in, I didn't, you know, I expected interesting performances and got more than I was expecting. But I thought that the atmosphere of this film, I thought that the like it, there's like so much vampire film history going on in this film. There's like goth, it's a gothic horror that's also like hearkening back to some like German expressionism with like the way that they're they're using light so ex- in such extreme ways because it is that gothic look. Um, I-, I thought it was interesting that it felt like the big actor that they were trying to push with this movie is Tom Cruise and he has a great performance and you know we can talk about all the stuff that he's off screen but on screen we've talked about him before with um, Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat whatever you prefer mm-hmm. uh, and he's a movie star on on screen I think he gives good performances and you know off screen he might be a psychopath uh, like who, <laughs> who, who knows and that, that part of honestly part of the performance is how much is Tom Cruise acting as a psychopathic uh, immortal <laughs> and how much is that just Tom Cruise kind of bringing himself to screen? I don't know. I liked it. I, I thought that it was a great performance. And then bouncing off Brad Pitt and then young young uh, Kirsten Dunst. Like, I, I thought those three were, were magnetic. Um, great cast. And then to talk about the sets were amazing. <laughs> These, like, giant cathedrals and uh, the like the locations they were going to. And just, like... It's it's one of those vampire films that it feels fresh, even though vampires in some sense, you know, maybe not right now, but like five, six, seven years ago with all of the there's a lot of vampire like waves, I feel like that come and go. Um, yeah. And I feel like you could watch this one at any time because it just does. It feels timeless in a, in a way to similar to the book. Like I talked about, like, I think they were going for sort of a timeless because it does take place over such a long period of time. And these vampires are immortal beings. Um but I do think if I was to say some things that I that like one thing is that I don't think that it had some of the introspection and sort of uh, philosophical things that the book obviously had, um, which, you know, I wasn't expecting a ton of that. But this is more of just like a surface. Not, I, I don't want to say surface, but it's it's it doesn't go as deep as as the book does. And it's sort of but it is a good adaptation of what the book represented on its face, I feel like. Yeah, I I agree with most of that. Um, this movie is is, is solid. Um, I enjoyed it for the most part. I have like a few quibbles here and there that that detracted from me. Um, I agree that the cast is good. I do think that Brad Pitt in particular struggled at times with the mm. character. Um, uneven is that I think the best way I would describe it. I thought at times he nailed it, but at other at other points I just I don't know. I didn't buy him as this era character um this plantation owner i think maybe part of it was was the lack of like louisiana accent really going on it was like it was like yeah. a nod in the direction but that was about mm-hmm. he, all he was giving um same for with tom cruise exactly i, I also yeah. noticed with tom cruise and anytime they would escalate their emotions there's no th- that nod to any sort of accent is completely yeah. gone <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, and and I felt like the writing was a little hammy and a little bit sort of, I don't know, just sort of on the nose. A lot of characters saying exactly what they're feeling to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of subtlety going on, um, especially early on. Um, all that said, I think it really shifted into another gear uh, with the introduction of Claudia, which we can we can talk about. Um, Kirsten Dunst nails this performance. I thought, considering how young she is. 
I mean, yeah, amazing performance. Really amazing. Um, because, you you know, most child actors you bring in, it's going to be a tall order to ask them to act like they're 30, you know, which is what they changed the character age to here, which I think was a smart change. Um, I think that helps sell the performance because it's easier to buy her as 30 than it would have been to buy her as 65. I don't know. Like, it would have been it just harder to wrap your head around. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to dampen the enthusiasm for the movie, though, because it also has a ton of style. And it is sort of unapologetic and in many ways um, is surprising. Uh, some of the gore, some of the just like how it goes there for a lot of stuff, how just how mm-hmm. fabulous these <laughs> vampires are, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, in every sense. It doesn't shy away from sort of homoeroticism and the the sexuality, right? This is one of the movies that cemented vampires as being sexy, um, I think, in, in pop culture, which obviously leans heavily on what the book did. But, you know, we have always talk about, it, like, you're never going to have the same footprint as, like, a big, massive movie like this, um, which I assume it was because this cast was all so, so popular, especially, like, Antonio Banderas in the 90s. You got Tom Cruise. You got Brad Pitt. I don't know where this was at in his career, but I assume he was a, also a rising star. So big time cast. I assume it was a big budget because uh, all those sets, like you said, mm-hmm. um, really well crafted. I mean, the, the the can we talk about the costumes? Just incredible, know, yeah. like amazing. So much detail in what they were wearing um, throughout, and then and then like the theater scene alone must have cost a ton of money to get to to nail the way they do. Um, really cool in terms of like money and and if you correlate money with success this movie costs uh-huh. 60 60 million and okay. worldwide gross over over its run 223 million so there it was go. a financial success yeah um, sounds like it and you're talking about all of the things that make it special and unique and the effects in this are stan winston so w- who we've talked about at length and is kind of you know this legendary figure in practical effects um worked on you know terminator 2 jurassic park um, known f- people, I mean, you look at you look at the effects in Jurassic Park, and pe- everybody talks about Stan mm-hmm. Winston and his, his studio. And this isn't this isn't Jurassic Park. This is vampires, and there's more. And and you were right in saying like that. That is the, like hitting the nail on the head. This isn't the subtle. This isn't a subtle movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like ev- things are on the nose. They are in like bordering into campy at times and and yeah. but like reveling in the fact that it's a vampire movie and like yeah. loving it, it gets a little cheesy at times i would say too yeah. yeah and then uh but but stan winston's effects in this movie are subtle effects in comparison to things that he was doing with giant animatronic dinosaurs um mm-hmm. and so like some of it some of it you'll probably look at it with a modern eye and be like oh this looks a little dated because they were kind of using early uh, digital mixed with practical, but I mean a lot of those. Uh, I mean a lot of the things that people point to with Star Wars, it, um, it's the practical things that that are like small animatronics that that still hold up to this day. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know we we've said on the show a million times we love that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to co-sign on what you were saying about Tom Cruise. I really think out of everyone on the set and everyone in this movie, Kirsten Dunst and Tom Cruise stand out the most to me. Um, and Kirsten Dunst, oh, like we talked about, for, for nailing a very difficult performance for a very young actor to try. Um, and then Tom Cruise, he really went there. This isn't a role I would have imagined would be a perfect fit for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yet he just goes there. Like he, he embodies this madness. Um, he is the, the, the scene with the prostitutes. Um, it felt right out of the book. Um, he, mm-hmm. he really captured Lestat's sort of cruelty 
And I love that he is this um, this villain throughout who just keeps coming back, right? Like, and then of course yeah. we get the the, the final reveal. Um, he's I, this is a really interesting role for Tom Cruise, and I think he is is a standout. Yeah, I got it. We're talking about it right now, so I have to touch on this. Anne Rice wrote Lestat in the 1976 novel with Rutger Hauer in mind, who we talked about wow. um, in Blade Runner. Amazing Love, actor. Yeah, what a, what a performance. Recently, recently passed away. So rest in peace, yeah. Rutger Hauer. The rights to the novel were optioned by Paramount for $150,000 before the book was published, and John Travolta was earmarked to play Lestat. Let me also just say getting your movie optioned uh, for that much money before or getting your book optioned for that much money before it even comes out uh, as a debut, which we talked about. Pretty yeah. incredible. That's in 1976. Right it's got to be pretty unheard of. Yeah. And then we, we talked about in our book episode how many how many copies it sold too. So mm-hmm. rightfully so, like they kind of knew, I guess. I don't know how people know that kind of stuff, but they did. Um, so John Travolta was earmarked to play Lestat, but a glut of vampire films at the time, Dracula in 1979, Nosferatu the Vampire in 1979, and Love at First Bite in 1979 put the project on hiatus. By the time the film was in pre-production, Howard and Travolta had become too old to portray the ever-young vampire. Ironically, Howard would later portray a vampire in both Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Salem's Lot. Um, upon learning that Tom Cruise had been cast, Rice was livid and stated Cruise could not carry the part, calling the casting so bizarre it's almost impossible to imagine how it's going to work. Rice recused herself from the production and did not view the film until a producer sent her a VHS copy. I'm going to wow. stop there for a second. Uh, yeah. And just like, let's just think about that. She removed yeah. herself from the production, didn't want to be involved in any way. And she's listed as the, doing the screenplay. I think that has something to do, because I did read that that Neil Jordan did a lot of rewrites, but I think it mm-hmm. had something to do with Guild, something or other, Writers Guild or this or that. So she, she was still listed as the as a screenwriter. Um, now, with all we've, you know, we've stewed on it a little bit. Now yeah. I want to say... After she watched the VHS copy, Rice was so impressed by Cruz's performance that she wrote him a letter of apology. Yeah. And Rice and Rice was also so pleased with this adaptation that she took out a two-page ad in both Vanity Fair and the New York Times endorsing it as a masterpiece. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show that that as much as you want to pigeonhole actors, right? Like we all do this. We see actors in something and they stick in our mind and we go, "This is what they are." And then they surprise you. I always look at like Leonardo DiCaprio as an example of that in my life where I, I really thought I had that actor figured out when he was young, you know, and just the career he would go on to have. <laughs> I was so wrong. Right. Um, and, and we see this happen all the time. And with Tom Cruise here, like I I, I can see why she would be upset because I would have never thought he would be a good fit for this role. Yet he like I just said, I think he gives one of the standout performances in the movie. Yeah. It's it. it I, I heard all kinds of crazy stuff. Tom Cruise reportedly uh, was like studying lions hunting zebra for his portrayal and like all of wow. it. Like he, he like was really trying to get like animalistic with it. And uh, I I think whatever he did worked. I really enjoyed the performance. I do agree. I think some of the stuff with Brad Pitt might be uneven. And uh, I have something that might lend itself to that. Part of it with Brad Pitt is like I know how good of an actor he is. Like, I know that he is like an upper echelon tier A actor. And in my opinion, maybe even better than Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? Like, which may be controversial for for, for some, but I think maybe he has more range, in my opinion. Um, and so I was expecting him to 
do more with Louis than I feel like I got here. And it just seems to me like this is early in his career where maybe he hadn't quite developed into the actor that he would become, but he does yeah. a good job. It just, I think I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm holding him to the standard of like later Brad Pitt movies. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, like I was saying, like I, I, I think there's something uneven in his performance. I don't think that he was like as I think he had some of the regality, but I think like there was something about the performance that was it was like this is young Brad Pitt and he didn't re- necessarily like embody the role perfectly. Um but I I still he really enjoyed it. He looks the part him. though. Let me he tell you that. He looks the part. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's a good-looking man and I sure he was making everybody uh, you know, lust after Louis, which I think is important for this movie to work the way it does, right? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I, and and like I, I've said all of that now, and I want to say that there's something that might be something we're picking up in their performance. In an in, in an EW interview in September of 2011, Brad Pitt revealed that he had a miserable experience while making this film. He recalled the discomfort of the makeup, colored contacts, and particularly filming in an enclosed, dark indoor area. He said at one point he called his friend and producer David Geffen and begged him for a way out, learning that it would cost $40 million. He toughed it out for the remaining months. Mm, so you, yeah, that makes sense. He, he like Tom Cruise felt 100% in. And yeah, I would say Brad Pitt just did not quite feel that way. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I still love them together in this movie. Um, yeah, it's I just cool think to see. like their performances bouncing off of each other and and like a lot of the stuff I, I I still really enjoyed the performances. I just think if there's something that is a hang up, I think that like maybe that's what we're picking up on. Yeah. Um, I, that might be it. But I want to jump into the filmmaker here. Are you ready to do that? Yeah, I'm I'm not really familiar with him, although maybe I am and I just don't realize it. I, I just don't know the name. I'm not extremely familiar either, but but I'll I'll tell you about him. Neil Patrick Jordan is an Irish film director, screenwriter, novelist, and short story writer. His first book, Night in Tunisia, won a Somerset Magum Award and the Guardian Fiction Prize in 1979. He won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay on The Crying Game, 1992. He also won three Irish Film and Television Awards, as well as the Silver Bear for Best Director at the Berlin International Film Festival for The Butcher Boy in 1997. Jordan also created The Borgias, which is a 2011 TV series for Showtime. I remember Mm -hmm. that being pretty massive. I never watched it, though. Mm -hmm. As a writer-director, Jordan has a highly idiosyncratic body of work, ranging from mainstream hits like Interview with a Vampire to commercial failures like We're No Angels to a variety of more personal, low-budget art house pictures. So he was approached by Warner Brothers to direct uh, interview with the vampire after the success of the movie The Crying Game in 1992. Jordan was intrigued by the script, calling it really interesting and slightly theatrical, but was especially interested after reading Rice's novel. He agreed to direct on the condition that he be allowed to write his own script, though he did not gain a writing credit. The themes of Catholic guilt which pervade the novel attracted Jordan, who called the story the most wonderful parable about wallowing in guilt that I'd ever come across. But these things are unconscious. I don't have an agenda. Interesting. And that's one of the elements that I actually felt like, while was present in the movie, was mm-hmm. way more understated um, than it was in the book, where like Anne Rice's grief um, over the, the death of her daughter, which we, we talked about in the last episode, um, is, and her questioning about what it means to be alive and and the nature of good and evil and all of these things um, pervade the novel in a way that um, it just doesn't in the movie. Um, you know, I don't know if that's something that people want, but I can see that it was sort of left out probably due to time and just like how to how do you put that on screen in the same way when you can get all this mm-hmm. introspection? 
I feel like it's like you if you that you almost have to make a movie about that on its own. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that that's such a large topic to try to like thread in that I think it becomes like you said it would become like its own sort of movie and subplot. Um, And you know I did miss that in the story. I felt like that was something that I was engaging with. There was something very raw about the about the novel that I enjoyed with what we talked about with Anne Rice losing her daughter her struggles and like coming to and leaving Christianity or Catholicism or whatever she was, whatever religion she was dealing with. Uh, and I think that like, there's something there's, this is still a great adaptation of that work, but I think there's something, like I said, raw, that's Mm. maybe, maybe like gave that book an edge, like in my mind, not, not edge over the movie necessarily, but edge as in like, it felt very like pointed. Mm. Yeah. Like it had a, had an emotional edge to it. I get what yeah. you're saying. So uh, I did talk about Stan Winston with the visual effects, but I'll mm-hmm. touch on that one more time. Um, director Neil Jordan was initially hesitant to use Stan Winston Studios because they had gained a reputation for specializing in large-scale animatronics and CGI with Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Winston designed the character's vampire appearances and makeup effects, including a technique for stenciling translucent blue veins on the actors' faces. This required the actors to hang upside down for 30 minutes so that the blood would rush to their heads and cause wow. their veins to protrude, enabling the makeup artists to trace realistic patterns. Wow. That's something. <laughs> yeah, so we have actual actors in a vampire movie hanging upside down like bats. Uh, <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I mean, and I heard, you know, Brad Pitt is like, oh, it sucked. And like, I mean, these are the things that make a production like this suck. Like you could go film a comedy and not have any of this other bullshit. You know what I mean? They just set the camera sometimes. And <laughs> Man, let, you made me hung up, hang upside down even once for 30 minutes. I'm probably going to say it sucked too. You know, like that's right. that sounds terrible. <laughs> And sometimes they would have to do it multiple times, uh, like oh, within the scenes to be touched up and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and apparently, I think Tom Cruise had to sit for like three hours of makeup in in a couple of cases. But oh. yeah, digital effects. I also talked about they were mainly used to add small details to enhance certain physical effects, like the burning of the New Orleans set or the burning of Louis' plantation, whereby mm-hmm. CGI flames were imposed on a miniature of the house. The most difficult digital effects to illustrate were Louis and Claudia's transformation into vampires, which were technologically very advanced for the time. The scene Mm. where Claudia cuts Lestat's throat was achieved by transferring from Tom Cruise bleeding from a prosthetic wound to an animatronic model designed to wither as it bled out, enhanced with CGI blood. Winston also sculpted the rough model for the charred remains of Claudia and Madeline uh, using archival photographs of victims from Hiroshima, which is horrifying. Yeah, uh, all of those scenes are very affecting. Um, as far as the look of the vampires, um, it, I think it is iconic. It is something that a lot of people would build off of in later movies. Um, they were, like I said, fabulous, beautiful, um, and and very sort of theatrical, right? Like long flowing locks and 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 just these extravagant outfits. Um, Tom Cruise has has on a wig, it appears to me, um, that's uh, quite light haired, um, which I thought was surprising for for him. But it, it ends up working like I, I kind of forget quickly that it's not his real hair, you know? Yeah, it, it worked for me. And like you, there is like that timeless feel. I keep saying timeless, but like mm-hmm. like the, the, the what they're wearing uh, you know, as time really progresses and we get to more of the modern era, we can see they're they're like their costuming change but but seeing them in the flowing robes um billowing like it, it just it, and then it's it, it is the most iconic portrayal of of vampires not not this movie necessarily but just like they're always wearing the billowing um 
sort of I don't know what era you would consider that costume. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of this bridge between the romantic Dracula monster vampire and the modern day heartthrob um protagonist, you know, mm-hmm. good guy vampires that we get a lot of with an edge, you know. And um this movie and this book both feel like important stepping stones between those two things. Um, for better or for worse, because some people like really hate the modern take on a lot of vampires. You know, and I, I'm planting with a broad brush. Obviously, there's plenty of modern movies that don't go that route, but famously Twilight, you know, True Blood, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Some people would argue, um, you know, go more in that in that direction. And I think this movie and this book are both really, really important in, in making that making that leap. Definitely. I mean, the influence is, is clearly there um, with, I would say, probably every every vampire movie that comes after this. If you've seen mm-hmm. this movie, it's got to influence you in some way. Um, I, I, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but this movie was expensive. Like they were swinging for the fences with this yeah. one. The producers were like, we want to, uh, I read that one of the producers, I can't remember their name right now, said that they wanted to go for like a Gone with the Wind, like like that sort of like large epic scale of a story. Um, and I really appreciate it for that because I think if you don't do that, then you're losing layers of that make this the world feel lived in and intriguing and and you know tra- the the, the globe trotting nature of this story, uh, it kind of uh, I, like I said it adds a lot of layers for me and it makes the the world feel a lot more lived in and and getting to see New Orleans versus the, the parent country in some aspects against Paris. Um, and like what those two mean to each other and what they mean to the characters uh, is interesting throughout. And they, I read a lot that they filmed in a lot of these major locations. San Francisco they filmed in, which is clearly present in the framing device of this um, with the Golden Gate Bridge and everything. And then um, they actually shot in Louisiana and they actually shot in Paris. So they were in wow. these locations. There were also sets, obviously, for a lot of it. But uh, it's very, it, it makes for a really like expansive, epic film like gone with the wind so they, i think they achieved some of the stuff that they were, they were they were trying for with that and they must have burned down quite a few sets because man was there a lot of fires in this movie <laughs> yeah we talked about fire stunts in a, one of our bonus episodes yeah. recently with the original the thing and i couldn't yeah. help but think about the conversation we were having about uh like you know dangers and like the, the, there was a youtube channel that you mentioned called uh corridor crew right yeah and they uh they were talking about what happened in the scene and how the fire kind of gets out of control and like you just think of you, you always see these effects and you're like, oh, yeah, everything was safely done. But uh, watching this movie, there's a lot of fire, a lot of people on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I just brought that conversation. I'd be back curious to, to know some of those behind the scenes stories, because, yeah, I mean, a lot of just people clearly being lit on fire. And, and um, you know, they, they had some really cool. I guess effects of, of of like someone like crawling along the roof a couple times, like the vampires were were sort of levitating and and, and up on the crawling along the ceilings while they were on fire, and I kept wondering like how are they achieving that? <laughs> it looks really cool. Pretty extreme stunt when you think about the fact that you have to, you know, get someone on fire and they're up on the roof. And I assume that they probably inverted the camera. Right. I don't know kind. if that's a real person or not, or if or if it was like yeah, you know, fake like a dummy that moves in some way or something. But it looked convincing. Right. Um, so before we get into the plot, I do want to touch on like some more some more cast and uh, because I think there's a couple other major players. So Christian Slater Christian as the Slater. boy. Uh, what do you think about his performance and what do you think about him in this movie? It completely changes the character, right? Like he is way more confident. He's obviously older. Um, he, you know, he's smoking. He seems dismissive at first, um, but then he's kind of on board. But like he in Christian Slater, like. 
he he's one of those actors that he seems like to he's himself in most movies <laughs> and he really comes across I'm like yeah this is christian slater i've seen him in lots of movies he's always this kind of guy right. um and he feels like that kind of guy here but he's still good and it works and um it just changes that that dynamic a little bit um you know between him and brad pitt in that in mm-hmm. that interview I mean, I agree. I feel like it's Christian Slater, the person as this character. Um, yeah. it, it felt jarring a little bit, kind of, because like we're getting all of these performances that are that are uh, in different ages. And then we when we come to the modern age, it's just like rambunctious. Like he's like very like amped up and he's Christian Slater. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was it was a choice. But I, I also read that he was given the role, this role, because River Phoenix originally had the role but passed away. Um, and oh, wow. so Slater came in like basically in the 11th hour and, and like took on the role. Um, and I okay. think they were they were f- related, not related, but they were friends of some kind or they were acquaintances or knew each other in some way. And Slater donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars of his salary to two of Phoenix's favorite charities. Wow. After the fact. That's cool to deal. Yeah. Uh, a lot of other like random casting stuff. Daniel Day-Lewis was originally given the part of Lestat, but dropped out weeks before filming. Uh, and Tom Cruise eventually got the role after Johnny Depp turned it down. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So many different. I mean, what? Gosh, I, a lot of those actors would have probably made really great Lestats as well. Um, it seems like that was the role that that was drawing the most attention. But then I don't know. You also have all these people backing out. So I don't know what's going on with it. Yeah, I, I know that why people love Lestat, but I also really liked Louis as a character mm-hmm. and it seems like Lestat gets a lot more and I think it's because we get Louis sort of entire arc and his entire story here and there's more to be told with Lestat and I understand that that's why the books continue on with, yeah, with Lestat. it might be partly that just that there's all these other books about him and if you're a big Anne Rice fan then you probably know a lot about him and yeah I don't know from what I understand Louis does appear in some of the later novels but he is not like the main character it's it's Lestat going forward so Interesting. that that is a big change you know yeah, I mean, I, I'd definitely be interested in checking some of that stuff out down the line. because well, I, like, I mean, there's others. Queen of the Damned, we could potentially do. <laughs> uh, I also read that Kristen Dunst wasn't allowed to watch this film because she was like 12 years old and her parents yeah. didn't think that, that was, it was going to work out because it was too scary for her. Yeah. So you said art house films earlier, and I was thinking about how that, that theatrical production feels a little bit art house to me. There are certain moments that, that, that I can see that uh, that connection between, uh, you know, this filmmaker's sort of um i don't know just interesting eye like he, he, he it is um not what you would expect for a big budget right. blockbuster film to to behave and look the way that it does and a lot of times that injects a lot of energy and and freshness into these like big massive films because when you get and no offense in any way to ron howard because i love ron howard as a filmmaker but ron howard as a filmmaker is like the safe sort of massive movie maker like he makes huge movies and they're successful and a lot of them are great um but he doesn't necessarily have the edge like somebody who's like a young up-and-coming indie filmmaker who's doing all this experimental stuff on the side and then brings that into like a blockbuster so Mm -hmm. not to say that that's what happened with this movie i just think i I like to see indie filmmakers sort of fluctuate going back and forth and and uh I i like to see studios trust some of these smaller filmmakers smaller in scale with their movie filmmakers i mean um, I, we're, we're on we're on record we like the auteur filmmakers right like we, right. we like the a strong creative vision and you get a little bit of that here for sure right and again i love ron howard so i'm not shitting on ron <laughs> howard i just yeah sure just, sure james <laughs> yeah. I like we ron all know howard what you're really saying <laughs> yeah okay so the only other thing i have is is natalie portman was up for claudia 
Uh, oh, she she was also in the running to potentially become Claudia, which I could also see. You know, you think For of sure. like Leon, I mean, the professional, yeah. and uh, you can see a char- like you could see that she could probably hold her own. She plays a very mature character in that movie. So mm-hmm. I like Kristen Dunst in the role, though. I think it's honestly like. And I hope that this wouldn't be any offense to her, but like one of her best performances. And it's like she's gone on to do other great stuff. But this is uh-huh. like I think the age also has a huge thing to do with it. It's a it's level of difficulty for a child to do something like that. That's impressive. Yeah. I noticed that they were changing the way she dresses throughout, too. Like she, it looked like she early on was was very much dressing like a young girl. But by the end of the movie, she's wearing like really extravagant gowns and and, you know, has I think she even has like wraps. And so I don't know. She just looks much more like an adult. Uh, in the way that she's dressing, and I thought that was really appropriate. Yeah, I, the relationship with with Louis and Lestat is also, you know, we talked about in the book. It's complicated, right? She's a child, and there's like romantic, or there's like parental and romantic vibes going on. It felt them. it felt like they were dancing along that line a little bit less in the movie, probably for right. good reason, um, than the book does. The book, but at the same time, she kisses she kisses Louis. You know, yeah. and you're like, it's like a, it's like a, it seems like it's like a loving parental thing potentially, but it's also like, I don't know. She calls him lover, I think, or she calls him something like that. Like, I, I don't know. It, my, it, she it, says my love to him. I don't think she ever says that he's her lover, which is said in the book. Um, yeah. So, so again, I think it's like, it doesn't quite go as far as the book did, but it's still there a little bit. And I think I'm, I'm sure it scandalized people and made them uncomfortable, um, right. which is partly on purpose. Um, but, but, you know, also just. You're trying to portray a really unique character in a way, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and and the the tragedy of Claudia being being this older character trapped in, in a young person's body. I mean, that's just the way it's gonna go, I guess. Yeah. All right. So, if you're ready for plot, I'm gonna start reading some. I have three blocks of uh, summary here. Okay. So the first one: reporter Daniel Moly interviews Louis de Poindulac who claims to be a vampire. Louis describes his human life as a wealthy plantation owner in 1791 Spanish Louisiana. Despondent following the death of his wife and unborn child, he drunkenly wanders the waterfront of New Orleans one night and is attacked by the vampire Lestat de Lioncourt. Lestat senses Louis' dissatisfaction with life and offers to turn him into a vampire. Louis accepts, but quickly comes to regret it. While Lestat revels in the hunt and killing of humans, Louis resists his instinct to kill, instead drinking animal blood to sustain himself. Disgusted by Lestat's pleasure for killing, Louis comes to suffer tremendously as a vampire. Wandering the streets of New Orleans amid an outbreak of plague, Louis can resist his hunger no more and feeds on a little girl whose mother died in the plague. To entice Louis to stay with him, Lestat turns the dying girl, Claudia, into a vampire. Louis has a pure fatherly love for Claudia, while Lestat spoils and treats her more as a pupil, training her to become a merciless killer. Yeah, so the introduction of these characters, I noticed they changed uh, Louis. It's not his brother that dies at the beginning. It's it's wife mm-hmm. and child. Um, right. And I assume they did that because they were trying to set up a sort of void that Claudia would then fill for him. Um, but I, I do think it's a little unfortunate to, to lean into that trope too though you know like mm-hmm. the, the brother is more unique um he, he was this sort of pious religious type who had had a vision that louis didn't believe in and then when he when the brother died he felt all this regret about like why didn't i believe him why didn't i support him more um and i don't know it just it was an interesting element that's going to stick with me whereas oh yeah, yeah, yeah his wife and, da- and daughter died or wife and child died. It's like, I don't know. I've just heard that a million times for yeah. motivation for a male character and is sort of forgettable. 
Yeah, I think this is a this is also an artifact or like something that happened basically because of they they cut a lot of that religious subtext and and a lot of the religious stuff. So I think cutting while I do agree it's like a memorable character, I think it's just neater and cleaner and more more the audience is on board. They understand. You know, it's a trope for a reason. And I think it's yeah, just like effective in like saving time. Yeah, still unfortunate though. I mean, there's, there's some some sexism there, right? With the way you can just kind of cast aside the women in, in these in these roles. But I mean, at, at least I guess it wasn't really a character; it was just kind of mentioned. It, anyway, let's move on. It doesn't even deserve right. the time we're spending on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, Tom Cruise definitely is is on the hunt here. He's on the prowl. I can see some of that uh, that lion hunting the gazelles or whatever uh, coming through, and the the levitating as he lifted. Uh, you know, uh, Louis into the air uh, was interesting. I read that that was something that was introduced in later books um, that that Lestat was able to do. We didn't really get that in the novel at all, mm-hmm. um, but it looked cool. You know, taking him up to the top of the the mast of the ship, um, it made it also very sort of transcendent, right? Like the, right. It, it, I like the way that it mirrored how in the book he was described as feeling like he was ascending to like another plane, um, mm. and and I felt like visually it. it sort of told us that right i mean i think they did a good job in and making that feel like a transformation without it being like sort of a monster transformation it was like you said like transcending i think that's perfect yeah. well and he's not he's not actually tra- changing there he's just being fed on for the first time and then it's later that he comes and actually changes them but i think it's maybe like a precursor to that right mm-hmm. and then we get the uh what do your vampire eyes see which was making me think of lord of the rings right what do your elven mm-hmm. eyes see um and uh that thought that was a really bizarre sequence where he looks over at a statue and its eyes move for some reason <laughs> yeah what the fuck was that i, I think know. he says it too i think he says like the 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 statue is moving but it but it really wasn't or something but yeah i i guess it's just the way that I, I interpreted it as like a holdover from the whole art thing like the way that vampires could appreciate art and maybe it's like giving life to the art just looking at the statue kind of thing but yeah definitely bizarre because all of the stuff that he's looking at and like brad pitt had to pull that off that moment where he's just like in awe of everything and he's walking around. it's a pretty wide shot where he's just looking around at trees and stuff uh and it, but it works I did think that Lestat was a lot more sort of welcoming and friendly and like, let me introduce you to the vampire life um, than he was in the book early on. But mm-hmm. then he does change like on a dime. He, he switches into that more asshole Louis that, or, uh, Lestat that we know from the book. But um, it was effective in, in sort of setting it up like he was almost gaslighting Louis and and sort of manipulating him um, into this position only to then like pull the rug out from under him yeah i mean i think it makes it, i was it was a little jarring in the book because it was basically just said that like louis like louis was infatuated with lestat and then at some point it was basically just like lestat now disgusts me and it's like the way that he's vulgar and it was a quick transition in the book and i feel like yeah. this is more gradual like you're saying yeah, and uh, we have to touch on it. There is some really troubling racism type stuff going on here yeah. with the slaves. Um, the portrayals not great. Um, you know, again, it feels kind of similar to the book in that it's like they deal with it a little bit, but they really don't engage with it in the way that it probably deserves. Um, you have you have uh, uh, the slave character um, who you told me the name of the the actor, and I've Sandy Newton. Thandie Newton, uh, yep. young Thandie Newton is in this. I didn't even recognize her. You told me later. Um, and, and that character, like, I think is sort of uh, embodying several from the book. Um, and I don't know. It just felt like that 
that whole part didn't really go anywhere because it's Louis who then ends up burning down his own home. It's not it's not his slaves, you know, in like an uprising situation. I don't know. It just it didn't feel like it was really handled very well. And then I think there was some instances of blackface going on. There was it was very tribal. It just it, it felt really othering to me. And yeah. um, I don't know. It, I'm sure it played in the 90s okay, but it just for to today it just felt like this would be cause a huge uproar if this movie came out. You know, like in 2020, and for rightfully sure. so. Yeah, definitely. I think it's also doing the. Uh, what was done in the book too like we talked about this mm-hmm. uh, sort of like weird holdover idea of this african being un-americanized and they're very like close to the spiritual world because of this and all yeah. that and so like it's definitely clearly a, a connection to that i do want to ask you while we're here though so you know if you're i think if you're portraying this time period i just want to ask what your opinion you were two white guys i just want to know your opinion if you are going to have this it was a thing that was going on at the time and to not have it be shown at all obviously would be to to also be doing a massive disservice um do you do you think it's just that there's a right way to to have slave characters in in these movies and and like how how do you navigate that in in your opinion i mean it's really tough i i would absolutely speak to someone <laughs> who knows better than me you know i would consult um and then i yeah i would think you would have to show give them a little more agency i would like to see them actually burn down the house for one mm-hmm. um i felt like some of the scenes of them like making a lot of noise and having their like tribal dances and stuff was like that was going a little too far um mm-hmm. And then you have these like rich white guys in a house being like annoyed at all the noise. I don't know. It just right. it just didn't sit well with me. I don't know. It's one of those things that's tough to say for sure. But like you kind of know it when you see it. And then, um, yeah, it was like they were just kind of they played a role and were discarded in a way. And then it just, a, you know, Louis gives like a blanket. You're free now kind of statement here, which I don't even know if he does that in the book. I don't remember him actually doing that. Um, I don't but, think he does. Yeah, I think that was like their slight update to try to to try attempt to to have some more. Yeah. Uh, like I like I don't know wokeness to understand like what what they were trying to do, but at the same time, it doesn't go far enough. Clearly, it, yeah. I just asked it because like I also felt the same way. It definitely felt like it's just like they didn't pull it off. And you know what it probably is is just like white people's interpretation of what happened during slavery when like you don't have they probably didn't have a black person in the room to give perspective or to no and not that they would have you know not that they needed to have been i just think like it's it's a perspective that is there you're portraying them as characters in your movie so you should at least be informed enough to know like accuracy and like like be be um cognizant of like what you're saying and how you're portraying characters and stuff i mean it's like so many things where I don't think people at the time and this filmmaker at the time perhaps realizes just how triggering and I don't know, like just how hot of a topic it is and and like hot to handle. Like it's so difficult, right? Like it's, it's, it's like electric and you're dealing with this topic and, and if you're not going to give it the attention and the care that it needs then you're going to set yourself up for this kind of criticism because um, it just feels like it was thrown in almost casually and and yeah. not necessarily it's almost the like, weight of the the, yeah. the tragedy of like human slavery deserves you know mm-hmm. now sure you know Louis goes on to sort of dismiss much of human life as much as he like you know wallows in his despair and talks about how much he feels bad about killing people he kills plenty of people. Um, especially in the book and um 
he doesn't really seem to care about humans at all. Um, so I, I don't know, you can kind of hand wave it that way and say like, oh, he doesn't care about anybody. But I don't know that it really fixes the problem. But um, like I said, I, I, it, it seems like a little bit of a holdover of the time. It's just like I, if this movie had come out today, I, I don't think people would be as forgiving of it as maybe they are now. Looking yeah, back. I mean, it feels like it feels like they were like, what time period does this take place in? OK, slavery was during that time. So we need to check that box and, and you yeah. know, make sure that that's r- there and then just move on. Well, from and it. making Louis a, a slave owner. That's right. tough, man. I, it's tough to look past that. Uh, I yeah. don't know, like, it, you know, and, and have any sort of affection for this character. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely the the. It sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. I didn't, you know, I felt like I was there. I was like, even for that time, I would hope that it would feel weird. But and uh, just before we we were talking about the introduction of Claudia here, too, um, I thought it was, you know, really well done. And then the scene where we actually see Lestat dance with the dead mother. Oh, yeah. uh, Right out of the book and Mm -hmm. um, just darker and even more horrific than I would have imagined. Yeah. you know, really affecting. And again, just Tom Cruise going for broke on his like madness yeah. here. Um, the way he delights in Louis biting of, of Claudia and everything. It's a, a, just a really good sequence. And a bold move, I would say by, by the filmmaker too, because like that's easily cuttable if you're, if you're not, I don't know if you wanted to, to, to be sort of like the, the more palatable film, like the more general audiences would enjoy. Like you, you cut a scene like that. It's pretty easy to cut. No, you cut, it, and that, but, uh, that's a great point. There could have been a PG-13 watered-down version of this movie that might have done better, but I would argue probably wouldn't, but I can see people thinking it would do better. Right. And you would lose a lot of the things that make this movie interesting and and, and memorable to me. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of those scenes would have to go, I think, to, to achieve that sort of, a, you know, like I said, watered-down version. Yeah, and so I appreciate it for that. And, and you know, dark, but affecting yeah. you know it's showing oh, you louis character another thing uh to make me like louis i don't think changing the fact that he, he he um eats less humans into the oh he just eats poodles now is gonna make me like him more <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but, <laughs> uh i don't know dog lover it's just tough to see um i i guess the dogs were annoying because they were barking at him <laughs> but like come on he, he murders two poodles and we're supposed to like root for this guy it's tough yeah it's funny because that's supposed to be like him showing restraint too, yeah. So he yeah, I didn't know, right? kill the yeah he didn't kill the woman, but he yeah. he killed these two dogs. It's a risk, man. Let's talk about it. We're gonna have our main character eat two, you know, kill two dogs on camera early on in the movie, and yeah. hope that the audience stays on their side. This next section of summary starts. Thirty years pass, and Claudia matures psychologically, but remains a little girl in appearance. When she finally realizes that she will never grow older or become a mature woman, she is furious with Lestat and tells Louis that they should leave him. She tricks Lestat into drinking the dead blood of twin boys whom she killed by overdose with laudanum, which weakens Lestat and then slits his throat. Though Louis is shocked and upset by Lestat's death, he helps Claudia dump Lestat's body in an alligator swamp. They spend weeks planning a voyage to Europe to search for other vampires, but Lestat turns... But Lestat returns on the night of their departure, having survived on the blood of swamp creatures. Lestat attacks them, but Louis sets him on fire, and in the ensuing blaze, they are able to escape to their ship and depart. After traveling around Europe and the Mediterranean, but finding no other vampires, Louis and Claudia settle harmoniously in Paris in 1870. Louis encounters vampires Santiago and Armand by chance. Armand invites Louis and Claudia to his coven, the Théâtre des Vampires where the vampires stage the- theatrical horror shows for humans. 
On their way out of the theater, Santiago reads Louis's mind and suspects that Louis and Claudia murdered Lestat. Armand warns Louis to send Claudia away for her own safety, and Louis is intrigued to stay with her Armand and learn about the meaning of being a vampire. Wow, okay. So, covering quite a bit there. Um, let's go all the way back to the, the, the Louis Lestat stuff before they leave, um, and, and Claudia, and... Um, I, I do again. I, I think we kind of brushed over the the scene with the prostitutes. Um, Tom Cruise, you know, th- like biting this woman, throwing her in the coffin, jumping on the lid, kind of bouncing around and just like laughing and smiling the whole time. Um, one of the most iconic scenes, I, I think, from this movie. The one of the things that's going to stick with me the most is is his portrayal in that in that scene. Yeah, I mean, he's torturing these these women, and uh, mm-hmm. like it's described in the book, but this. Uh, it's pretty wild. And and this is another moment where I was watching Tom Cruise and I was like, is this is this guy a psychopath or is this <laughs> acting, you know, like I benefit of the doubt he's acting. Hey, that's like, good acting, him- right? Like that's a that's Christian Bale and American Psycho, right? Like, you, you know. Yeah. You 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 worry a little bit, but that that's a good performance, I guess. Right. You can't help but bring like the stuff we know off screen, but like it's a good <laughs> performance for the character and it fits and it's it's memorable and like you said, he was giving it 100%. This is basically what breaks uh, Louis. Yeah, Louis. Yeah, this is like yeah, the scene that finally he, does goes it. And, yeah, that's when when, when Claudia is first made. So, in, in going to Claudia too, her um, you can see why this movie is so is so big for the LGBTQ plus you know uh, movement uh, and and culture because it's two fathers essentially with a daughter here, right? And and there's so much of this sort of uh, playing with sexuality throughout. But uh, Claudia is raised and uh, is, is is shown, and in fact, she seems a little bit less vicious than she necessarily was. Like she was really vicious in the book. Um, she she does a little bit of that stuff early on, but like she's almost animalistic at times in the book. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's like feeding on whole families, you know, feeding on like the dressmaker and her, you know, all of her tutors growing up, and uh, it was all very effective. And then you, and then it culminates in the the woman that is like dead and rotting among the dolls and Lestat getting all upset at her for, for, you know, never in our own home and stuff, which I, I don't know. That was, I think that was kind of an addition and I think it was mm-hmm. effectively done. Right. I mean that the, the lack of humanity we talked, we talked about in the book, the, the child that never knew humanity well enough to mm-hmm. understand. And we see, and then we're watching and going along the journey with Louis while he's trying to hold on to that shred of humanity he has left. Um, and like you said, there is some of that subtlety that's not really, it's not in this film. It's that, that was in the book, like the moment where, when he eventually does turn, uh, Madeline for, for Claudia, he says like, oh yeah, I've lost, that was my last shred of humanity. And like that, you know, you didn't have to say that. It doesn't have to be dialogue. Uh, it's kind of clear, but, uh, I think, I think there are moments of subtlety to this movie, and I think there are other times that that maybe not. This this stuff with Claudia, I think, is pretty well done, and she she is she's scary, right? She's it's scary to see a child with this wielding like this power and not understanding. It makes for a scary character, but you're also you also feel bad for her, obviously. Yeah, and then we get her and Louis turning on Lestat, murder like slitting his throat, dumping him in the swamp. And then the surprise reveal as he comes back and he's just this like zombified, horrific. I mean, what great makeup, right? Um, he's playing the piano. So it's very theatrical. He's got the like, he's got the gauzy stuff kind of billowing in front of him. So you can't quite see just mm-hmm. how horrific he is at first. And then we move in and see it even closer. Just looks great. 
Um, such a cool moment. And then one of the um, one of the stumbling points for me in retrospect, and and I look back at the book, and it, it's a little bit there too. It just I'll talk about why it's a little different there, but burning Lestat here and then leaving for Paris, it feels really odd for like the pacing of this movie because it mm-hmm. felt like Lestat was the big bad and was sort of the what we think the third act is going to be an epic confrontation between these forces. And instead we leave, we go somewhere completely different and we introduce a bunch of new characters. And we introduce kind of a new plot that then does get tied back to Lestat in the end, but in almost a, a just kind of like an added on way. Um, well, I mean, in the movie, it's not even really the case. Yeah, no, it's only the very, very end, right? right. Like uh, with the, when we get back to the modern era. Um, so in the book, it worked a little bit better for me. I just think because it is a book, it is much longer. Um, we are so tied too closely to Louis and we spend more time in different places throughout um, with different characters throughout. Um, it, it feels like it's less dependent on the Lestat conflict. Um, but I think it is still somewhat of a problem with the book. Um, it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that, like, you know, when I was trying to decide what I would rate this book, I ended up giving it, like, a four-star on Goodreads instead of a five. And I think there's a few things that add up a little bit for me to, to knocking it down from a five-star. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of them for me. Um, but this movie, it, it kind of hits me harder. You know, it's like... I felt a little bit adrift for a while, even though I knew where the movie was going. Um, I think that if you don't know, and you're watching this, you have this big buildup and payoff, um, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, what now? And I guess you know that there's some more stuff going to go on with Claudia, but like, I don't know. It's a, it just, I think makes for, it's a unique story in that it doesn't follow the shape of other stories that you had seen. But um, the drawback to that is always that, you're going to lose some people. And I wonder if that's maybe some of the criticism surrounding this movie too. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see that. I, I mean, like I felt that way when we read the book, I feel it felt it in the movie. It, it is such a departure from like everything else that's been sort of self-contained in that area. Um, when we go search out all these other vampires, uh, I do think though, if you're if you're watching it, you might actually think Lestat had died there potentially, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, so if you think he died there, um, you could be, f- you could maybe give yourself over to the plot a little bit more and go along with whatever is going to happen there. Maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking like, oh, Lestat's going to show back up, which isn't necessarily the payoff that you wanted when, when everything or, But there also could be some end. dissatisfaction there of like right. the guy that I thought was going to be the main villain is dead mm-hmm. already. So why should I watch the movie anymore? Right. I agree with that for sure. It, it, it is. It, I agree. Like it, it's a weird spot in this movie, but for whatever reason, it didn't. It didn't hold me back really mm. in either story. It, it's I, not. I it's not it, a big thing. It's just like a slight, slight stumbling block for me. You know, I'm trying to figure out the things that that were holding me back from like unabashedly loving this movie, and there's just like a few things here or there. Like right. That. If it feels like to me, it felt like Anne Ray saying like, "I want to explore the rest of this world." And yeah. couldn't find like a seamless way of doing that besides being like, all right. Let's I mean, stop. honestly, I think it's handled pretty well. It's 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 a it's a bold choice, you know. And and some people will definitely disagree with me as far as like they you know they'll love it or they'll, they'll think it was fine. Right, and um, it's like it's yeah. like d- does uh, there like that's the thing. Like if you enjoy the theater that we go to and Armand and all this stuff, like maybe it does feel like sort of a another section to the movie that like you know takes another step up that rung or something. Like it, maybe it yeah. gets better. But yeah, I agree. Like Lestat. Tom Cruise's face is like the whole poster. So like you think yeah. going into the movie, like Lestat's going to be the whole movie basically. Yeah. It, it takes the movie from being 
uh, a, a more self-contained story and makes it more of like a sprawling epic feel. Right. Um, and if you if you go in expecting one and then you surprise get the other, you might be a little bit turned off by it. You know. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, let's talk about the the introduction to Santiago and Armand. Um, I did yeah. not know. Skip, we skip all the Transylvania stuff, by the way, which I, I assumed they would because I didn't remember it. Um, but they definitely, you know, we get like one picture of something that looks kind of like Transylvania that the Claudia is drawing at one point. We also get the pyramids and that's all the only pyramids we get. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, completely skip over all that stuff, which is a fun bit in the book that if, you, if you're curious about, I would recommend reading because it is a fun extra bit of information about what goes on in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did not know Antonio Banderas was in this movie, and I didn't know who played Armand. Oh, you didn't? So when we got to that, I was like, holy shit, amazing. Like, we go from Tom Cruise to Antonio Banderas. Like, uh-huh. what a cast. And I was like, I was like, perfect. I was like, perfect casting for Armand, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I liked the first scene where Santiago gets introduced, uh, like, sort of doing the mime thing really, really yeah. well. And it got pulled off on in yeah. camera really well. Uh, I actually the- wanted that scene to go on longer. I don't know. Like, like I love the part where you started walking on the roof. Yeah. I was like really curious about how they achieved that effect because it looked like it was all practical. Um, yeah. And it looked really cool. And I was just like, man, I, 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 I liked Santiago being sort of a buffoon there and, and I wanted maybe just a little bit more, just like 10% more. Right. And the performance aspect of it that then leads us into the theater where we get like a mm-hmm. full play that I also really enjoyed. It had like the theatrics of what I think Neil... Uh, Neil Jordan saw in this story from Anne Rice like I, I love this yeah. we get to see a f- stage play and it's done and, and for whatever reason seeing it was a lot more clear to me and it made it more effective than it, than it was for me in the book I did enjoy it in the book but something about seeing it um, and understanding the crowd and the like sort of tone of how the play was was playing and how how the audience was reacting to it and that's probably just interpretation by Jordan uh, like and how he wanted the scene to play out but I, I really enjoyed that stuff mm-hmm yeah, I mean, uh, you, you got Antonio Banderas in his red outfit. He's very mm-hmm. striking. Um, I, I have to say that he, um, if you go by like the letter of the book, he does not look like uh, uh, Armand at all. Armand is said to be young, have like auburn hair, be sort of, you know, Eastern European, I believe. Um, but I, I remember reading the book cause I knew Antonio Banderas played him. I kept kind of inserting Antonio Banderas into the role. So it was seamless for me going back to the movie. It was like, oh yeah, here's Armand. Right. Um, I think he does a good job. I, I don't know that he's given a ton to do. Um, there's a little bit more to Armand in the book than there is here, right? Like right. in their relationship. Um, Armand also, uh, I don't know the, the character's just a little different. Um, but the, the immediate, uh, sort of intense attraction between the two of them and the way that Claudia is really worried about being left behind, um, it is all handled neatly, quickly and efficiently. Um, and I, and I think it does work in the movie. So it, it, that's a tough thing to pull off, I think as, as quickly and efficiently as they do, but they, they do it well. Oh, and, and one other thing about Armand, um, he, I didn't talk about this a lot in the book, but he really, I think represents sort of the vampire daddy that Louis wanted all along, right? And didn't get li- with Lestat. He represents like the knowledge that he has been seeking, the the guidance. And, but that even does, you know, it ends up being sort of empty. It ends up not providing what he really desires. Like there is no larger vampire society. There's no larger meaning to any of this. And so it makes almost more sense to have their relationship be a lot shorter like it is in the movie, then then it it, it go it, it kind of lingers for a while 
in the book, even though it feels sort of faded to fall apart eventually. I don't know. Uh, I can see both ways, but um, it, it is, it, that that element of the relationship is present in both. Yeah, I mean, he he's intriguing because he's the oldest vampire and everything. And when you said d- yeah. daddy, it made me think of zaddy, which then made me think of the fact that he's a vampire, so he's a vaddy. So it's his. Well, va- I don't know what you're. I don't know what Zaddy is. What is Vaddy? Vampire Daddy. He's a Vaddy. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Anyway, he's Vaddy. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but I mean, he's the oldest living vampire, so he has all. He's this source of knowledge, and then like I love uh, the thing that I kind of missed was this idea. The oldest the- one he knows, I think, uh, is I think one of the things I remember from Queen of the Damned is I think it's an older vampire. Like, I oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, one of the major things that I was missing, though, that I loved in the book was the the sort of pillars, I guess, in, in Louis's mind that that he was holding. It was like a holdover from religion. It's like Satan and God and all of these other things. And, and Armand also sort of brought about the end of those thoughts. So it's like he has all this knowledge, but even with all of his knowledge, he can't te- he can't explain the things away that even mortals like sort of are always thinking about like are these are these things real what do they represent why do they mean so much um and so like it's like a crashing down for him at that moment and it just didn't feel the Mm -hmm. same when he meets armand it didn't feel like he anything really crashed down other than his relationship with claudia because of you know what what goes on here soon yeah well which by the way we i want to talk about more of that so let's get into it yeah let's do it okay so Claudia demands that Louis turn a human woman, Madeline, into a vampire to be her new companion, and he reluctantly complies. Shortly thereafter, the Parisian vampires abduct the three of them and punish them for Lestat's murder, imprisoning Louis in a coffin and trapping Claudia and Madeline in a chamber, where sunlight burns them to ash. Armand does nothing to prevent this, but the next day he frees Louis. Seeking revenge, Louis returns to the theater at dawn and sets it on fire, killing all the vampires. Armand arrives in time to help Louis escape the sunrise and once again offers him a place by his side. Louis rejects Armand and leaves, knowing Armand had allowed Claudia's murder so that he could have Louis for himself. As decades pass, Louis never recovers from the loss of Claudia and explores the world alone. He returns to New Orleans in 1988 and one night encounters a decayed, weakened Lestat, living as a recluse in an abandoned mansion and surviving on rat blood, as Louis once had. Lestat expresses regret for having turned Claudia into a vampire and asks Louis to rejoin him, but Louis declines and leaves. Louis concludes his interview with Molly, prompting Molly to beseech Louis to make him his new vampire companion. Louis is outraged that Molly has not understood the tale of suffering he has related, and attacks Molly to scare him into abandoning the idea. Louis then vanishes and Molly runs to his car and takes off while playing the cassette tape of Louis's interview in his car. On the Golden Gate Bridge, Lestat appears and attacks Molly, taking control of the car. Revived by Molly's blood, Lestat offers Molly the chance that he never had, whether or not to become a vampire, and laughing, continues driving over the bridge. Some big changes at the end there, but yeah, let's back all the way up to what goes on in Paris um claudia and the the doll maker who we you know we learned a little bit about Anne rice and her collection her doll collection um just seems you know quite pointed um and then the, these two characters tragically being burned i wanted to ask you why the hell do they burn madeline yeah it didn't make sense to me in either story because uh first of all all of this doesn't make sense so they let's go all the way back to the book the the main crime that you can do is kill a vampire, right? right? Well, Lestat shows up. They didn't kill Lestat. 
they attempted yeah, they to kill tried Seth. to kill him i guess so so then this yeah. is the although although wait a minute he in the book he had made another vampire and i think that vampire is said to have died in the fire remember he yeah, makes yeah, that he makes right. that That's musician into a vampire you're right so i think a vampire does die there so maybe that explains that piece of it but if lestat is still alive which i guess in this in the movie version they th- so San, uh, Santiago, right? He he reads yeah. the mind of of Louis and Claudia, and they think they've killed Lestat, which means yeah. that which isn't a thing that they talk about in the in the book, by the way. The the whole mind reading stuff. I, th- I I guess that's introduced in later novels, but that is not really a thing in the in this first book, at least. Right. So I, I don't know. It just seems like they're going off of they're, they're, the one thing that they're not supposed to do, which is killing vampires. They end up doing. Yeah off of sort of like this guy me- reading somebody's mind and stuff so it's like although i guess it's yeah. not stated in the movie i get no it is santiago says like don't kill a vampire that's the our one rule or whatever so yeah. it's just weird to me that they're like oh don't kill a vampire but we'll kill vampires for yeah. potentially killing vampires well, and still all of that is you know maybe you know maybe it's like a, a you know eye for an eye style punishment but madeline <laughs> Did, did not kill a vampire. Madeline is just a baby vampire who happened to get made by Claudia or uh, by Louis, I guess, actually at Claudia's behest and just gets killed as at, for no reason that I can tell other than just, you know, wrong place, wrong time. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's just association. It's rough. Uh, and this yeah. scene is rough also. And, and, and uh, what it does do, and I guess, you know, in the defense of the, write, the writing, like why do that then, is it, I think it makes you hate those vampires even more so then therefore you cheer for louis in his vengeance yeah because it makes him feel even more justified i mean you have to assume within the context of the story that we've gotten these these vampires are clearly hypocrites so they yeah. i think they get caught up in the bloodlust like they're like don't kill vampires but they get caught up in it and they like wanted to kill these vampires especially in the book it's not done in the way that it is in the in the movie right it's sort of more they put them in a courtyard i think instead of a like a well looking thing but yeah it's just similar they lock them out and, and expose them to the sun but it seems like yeah it just seems like they were sort of caught up in like w- killing these vampires because they did the wrong yeah. thing and, well like, there's they're supposed to be sort of decadent and 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 beyond you know any like uh, armand has got grown tired of them because of how just vapid they are right so i guess that's that's where we can pick it up is like they yeah. they went too far and they killed madeline as well yeah. How about uh, Louis with that scythe, <laughs> which I guess I is like a prop or something that he finds, but it looks cool. And he's like freaking reap. He's reaping, you know, he's reaping death. Right. You remember it in the play, though, right? Like the he, he comes oh, out. Yeah. Santiago's character comes out wielding it in the play. And then so that's like the callback to him grabbing it and like fucking everybody yeah. up with it. Uh, it's very, yeah. very like samurai 60s like sort of death where he like cuts him in half and like blood squirts out and that and that it's very it's got to be some sort of reference to to, like samurai films oh interesting yeah i don't know maybe i would it seems like directors love to make reference to samurai films yeah i I wouldn't put it past him absolutely yeah because they're awesome Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh Another crazy fire scene, by the way. Everything's on fire. You got all the coffins on fire. Vampires kind of coming out of flaming flaming coffins and like thrashing around. Yeah, they're launching out of... They're like literally... I'm assuming yeah. those are like dummies and stuff that are flying out. It's really cool. Yeah, very cool. Big set pieces yeah. in this movie. Big set pieces, yeah. amazing sets, costuming, great cast. It's a movie. It's a it's a big movie. I, I, I like it. <laughs> it's a movie, all right. Uh, and yeah, and then we get the breakup essentially between Armand and Louis. Like I said, it happens a lot faster here. I already talked about it, so let's move on. 
modern day, we get uh, a, an interesting sequence where uh, uh, Louis just stumbles upon Lestat and finds him, and he's in this like room, and then there's like a helicopter. A weird sequence where a helicopter comes down and like shines a light in the window. Like, what was that? I was like, are they raiding this house? And That's then what I it just leaves. I thought like, I thought Louis like <laughs> called in the SWAT team or something, and then like <laughs> yeah. that didn't ever happen. Why would a helicopter fly through the it's window? It's like, oh, you know how modern life is when helicopters frequently fly up to your window and shine spotlights directly into them. It was so weird. <laughs> I cannot explain what that was. I have no idea. I remember seeing that and being like. What? What? Because I thought that it was some, some sort of raid, like you said. Well, I don't know. It works. It's supposed to just be like he doesn't know how to, he doesn't understand this modern world. He doesn't know how to survive. But I guess that is like an act or something. Because by the end, it doesn't seem to be the case. Lestat, or at least Lestat, like quickly got his mojo back after after talking with Louis that one time. Right. Well, it's there is that moment that of lingering where like he's like come near me and like bring me back to my former glory and he like t- they touch hands I think or something and then as we're leaving it looks like Lestat is getting like healthier just from that mm. interaction is l- at least what I got from I, the scene. You know, I there was a, a choice that I really really liked in this scene. It was when Louis um, comes cl- towards Lestat and Lestat shies away but he shies away by like jumping away in the chair he still has like strong power as you can tell yeah, yeah. but he so he's like hopping away in the chair this like you know this like uh, antique looking chair that he's sitting in i just thought that looked really cool and was really yeah. interesting i don't know like a, i liked that choice whoever whoever is behind it i thought it worked really he well he looks very feeble and then he like launches mm-hmm. the chair really far back with like one push and yeah i agree that was that was cool um Shows that like even in a weakened state, it shows that he could beat an alligator in even after he's had his throat slash kind of thing, you know, like even in a weakened yeah. state, like he's pretty powerful. Um, I, I really like the addition of the um, of, of Louis talking about seeing a sunrise again. Me too. Me too. I had I had that. In I, my I know notes. as a filmmaker, you probably like that. <laughs> I, I have it in my notes. Let me read you exactly what I said. I said. I'm a bit of a sucker for movies referencing movies, so I did like near the, the bit near the end when uh, they talk about seeing the sun on on uh, film screen, and like that's really cool. I thought that was awesome. Uh, yeah, it does. Again, it changes the tone a little bit of the of the movie than the book because the book is like it's a really dark, depressing ending with like Louis losing all hope in life and sort of he's like bereft by the end, right? Um, whereas this gives it a little bit more of a hopeful feel to me. Um, as much as I liked it, 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 is, a, it is a change. Right. I, I like the, because I'd never thought of that before. Like, the, if, like, that makes so much sense. And a filmmaker would think of movies. Like, I think that's just a correlation you're going to make. So um, you're gonna, like seeing sunrises in films and the technology like that. I think that's really interesting. Fascinating thing to think about for a vampire. Um, and mm-hmm. then, but it was super jarring when we saw Superman. Was that jarring for you? It was, yeah, it was a little weird, <laughs> but he got to see his blue sunrise again. He said, "Yeah, I was." Like, Is that like an important movie for like the transition to color or something like that early Superman film? No, not really. That was it was like seventy nineteen seventy, I think, or so somewhere around there. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know why they chose that movie. Maybe just that that was like movie they had access to for whatever reason with the studio. So they're like, let's go with that one. I was off. It was it's seventy eight, nineteen seventy eight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I mean. I, don't I think know. it just I don't like represents should. like I don't know Superman maybe like gets his powers from the sun the correlation to the sun or something like that I don't know maybe there's something there but I it was jarring to see in this movie that's like sort of gothic and everything at the end we see like spandex Superman and I was like what the hell 
felt jarring. <laughs> well, and it, it, it really situates it in our world in a way. That, and, and the whole ending really does a good job of like being like, this is our world. You know, you got, you got, you know, I forget what the song was. It's it, a really iconic song. I love that song, dude. Sympathy, and, sympathy for the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Sympathy for the devil. Yeah. We perfect. recently, uh, in, in Alan Moore's graphic novel for V for Vendetta, I mentioned it because he, he like quotes a couple of lines as he's going to kill the priest. Um, so nice. It's just a cool song. Very cool song. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so yeah, at the end here, we get the return of Lestat again. Now it, this happens a little differently in the book. Like we've kind of referenced, um, he essentially comes back, uh, during the stuff with Armand, um, instead and, 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 and is mentioned at the end and that the boy is going to go f- looking for Lestat, but we don't actually see any interaction between the two of them. We're here. We see Christian Slater, <laughs> um, hop in his car after getting sort of like nearly choked by Louis and driving off listening to the interview and then whoom here comes in Lestat and I thought it was a great final final bit to remind you of how good Tom Cruise has been as Lestat throughout yeah because he gets like one last chance to shine here and I think he really does um and uh yeah I don't know the, the him taking over like taking over driving the car saying he's going to give him the choice and we know that Christian Slater like wants to be a vampire so we assume we know how he's going to mm. choose. Well it's all, um, and then it, also it, it's an interesting feel at the end. It's it, it's very like pro vampire right. <laughs> at the end. It's like, yeah, it's cool, vampires are back. Right. And after this movie where we've seen like horrific things and everything, yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. well, it, it's interesting because like tonally if I guess it fits with what they wanted to do with the movie, especially when we get into the modern era stuff, it's like a totally different tone to me. Mm-hmm. Like whether we're flashing into the the interview and flashing back into the story um but yeah and then he sa- he has the line where he says like you know i had to listen to louis talk about this talk about talk like this and talk about this kind of stuff for hundreds of years he's like i'm so sick yeah. of this still whining yeah. which i thought was was pretty pretty fitting for louis he does whine a lot <laughs> yeah but yeah last little moment for tom cruise i'm sure that he made that happen i'm sure he was like give me another scene or something but uh it works <laughs> and i think the movie is its own thing and the book is its own thing and and uh Anne Rice says it's a masterpiece. So what what more can you ask for? Yeah, a really fun adaptation. I, I definitely had a lot of good good times with it. Um, a lot to like here, and I think the only thing left to do is to cast our votes on which was better, the book or the movie. I want you to start this week. Sure, um, it's tough. It's very tough. They're close for me. I think that I appreciated the seriousness of the novel, and I appreciated like sort of what it represents culturally what it represented for like vampire fiction what it represents for like gothic horror films and and introspection and everything like that love this movie i really enjoy it a lot more than i thought i ever would um bummed that i'm just now seeing it but i am excited that i've seen it like i wish i would have seen it a long time ago uh i'll definitely be re-watching this again uh but in this case i'm gonna take the book because i do i like i said i think it's the the it's it's such a massive iconic thing that that and i really appreciated a lot of the the subtlety and a lot of the the subtext of what was going on in the in the story um and that's not to take away from the movie because like i said i'm gonna watch it again and i enjoy it i would recommend this to people too if people are looking for like a vampire movie i'm definitely gonna do that mm-hmm. um but i'm taking the book in this case well uh i didn't think you were gonna go that route um i i, I felt like you had to go movie this time yeah i thought about it i was close yeah, I am also team book. Um, it. I thought early on in the movie, I remember thinking, oh, this is a landslide for the book. Yeah. 
Um, for whatever reason, the first like 10 or 15 minutes of the movie, I, I was not as on board. And then I think really somewhere around where Claudia gets introduced, it kind of shifts into another gear. And I was then feeling like, oh, I don't know. I'm seeing the performance from Tom Cruise. I'm, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe the movie is going to be where it's at. You know, this is really good. And then there's something about the the changeover that I talked about in the second act for me, where all of a sudden we abandon Lestat and all the drama we built up between Louis and him for a long time. And we go do all this stuff in, in Paris, which is interesting, but maybe not quite as interesting. Um, and that is present in both versions, but it stands out more in the movie for me. Um, so while I, I think I've highlighted many things I liked about the movie, yeah, it is the book. I actually really liked the sense that this was a really personal novel. Um, I suspect that once the Vampire Chronicles really take off for Anne Rice and become her brand and her thing, it... It, it, it must start to change. It, it, it's sort of like it has to, right? Like it, it has to become like self-aware in a way that this book didn't feel to me. This felt raw. This felt like somebody who is working through a horrific tragedy and um, really personal. And I liked all of the sort of introspection, the, the uh, existential angst. And I think that says something about me as a reader, and you know what I mean, because a lot of people are going to bounce off of that. But I liked it. Yeah. Um. So so I just kept coming back to like I was surprised by how much I liked the book. Um. Again, not a perfect read. I, I didn't end up giving it five stars on Goodreads for whatever that's worth. I would have given it four and a half if I could, you know. But I couldn't. Um. <laughs> but yeah, it, a good book and and a good movie both have flaws. I say that a lot. But for here, for me, I'm going to go with the book. Yeah, I mean, what you said about it being raw, that that honestly, like, I I should have said that as well, because like that, that is the make or break thing for me, because like I said, this this movie feels like a good adaptation of the work that was presented. But like we like I, I said before, it's so raw and you can tell that she's writing from experience. She's writing from like sort of a sense of longing, a sense of loss, all of these things. And like it's mm-hmm. it feels like weighty. It feels a lot like it feels like there's a lot to it. Um, so, yeah, all of those reasons and everything I said before book I, I but I like I said great movie I think this was a fun project really fun project both yeah, both it really was and so much fun speaking of that I want to you know, thank Jamie D for commissioning it stick around to the end of the episode we're going to announce our Christmas project um, but before we go for that I do want to say if you enjoyed this episode let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever app you're using right now uh, or if you're on YouTube give us a like subscribe all that stuff um, we're not a very big podcast but we're growing um, we want to continue to do that so help us out any way you can if you also wanted to help support the podcast on Patreon we're it's patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Um, we post bonus episodes monthly. I think we have like 30 of them now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different tiers to choose from. We're going to be revamping it in the new year. So definitely look out for that. Um, but we really appreciate the support and and it you know greatly helps us improve the podcast. Absolutely. And if you wanted to connect with us on social media, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ink to Film on all three. We also have a group on Facebook called the Council of Inklings. We're also on Goodreads with a uh, Ink to Film book club. Um, lots of places you can join. Oh, and if you're on Patreon, we have a Discord now, which you could hop onto that um, just for our patrons. Um, having fun on there, just getting just getting started. So uh, yeah, anyway, there's lots of ways to connect with us and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, all that's left 
is to announce our final project for the year. It's going to be our Christmas project. We will be doing one more episode after that, our last looks episode for 2020, um, which I'm definitely looking forward to. Those episodes are always really fun. Um, But our Christmas episode this year is going to be on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. A little different than this one. Um, (laughs) I can't believe the 2020 is about to end, guys. Like, what a... Yeah. I mean, it's been great for the podcast, and... Besides that, it's been, a crazy, it. <laughs> it's been a crazy year. Um, I just like, yeah. I, I don't know. Crazy year. Let's hope everybody stays safe through the new year. Yeah. Um, Are you excited for Rudolph? I'm excited for Rudolph, though. Hopefully I can <laughs> yeah, hopefully I can escape into the world of Rudolph uh, right here at the, at the yeah. end of the year. Yeah. I, I, I was doing some research into it, and uh, it seems like it has an interesting history. It's like how it came to be. I think we're going to touch up, we're going to touch on the, the song too, because I know it has this iconic song adaptation. Yeah. You said you were so going to we'll sing into it. that a little bit. We'll, we'll get into the animated version. Um, sorry, what were you saying? You said you were going to sing it on air, right? Oh, no, I did not say that. <laughs> we're going to do a live performance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it should be fun. I think we'll get loose. Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll have some eggnog, uh, you know, spiked eggnog while I'm on, while we're recording or something. Um, gotta get in the spirit, you know. Yeah. Um, should be fun. Hopefully, you join us for that. Uh, yeah, that's it. 2020 almost over. Wild. Crazy. But uh, until next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>